1: In touch with technology
2: with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. We're going to talk about a super fun topic today. We, we are both revved up. It is the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of 1998. Yes. Uh, yeah. The uh, w- reason we're covering this, obviously, is because uh, the DMCA is one of those things a lot of people cite uh in various uh, uh discussions online things about you know what what pertains to copyright law that kind of stuff and we thought it might be helpful to actually go through and talk about this this uh what it actually is
2: what it actually says and some of the ways that it has interacted with uh with us in in the real world the yep. hypothetical real world that i keep hearing about <laughs> and don't actually see all that often
0: no that's cuz we play a lot of halo but uh yeah no, they the, the the whole reason we're we're tackling this again is that uh, it's it's you know when we talk about piracy and we talk about copyright and we talk about intellectual property and safe haven, most of that has to do with uh, the the various copyright laws, uh, at least here in the United States that we have several copyright laws, but a lot of it refers back to the DMCA and the reason why the DMCA is even a thing is because once we started entering the digital era, uh, the The landscape changed dramatically. All right, so before the digital era when everything was analog, you could make copies of stuff, but it tended to be uh slow. It tended to take a lot of effort on the part of the person making the copy. It was not easy for your average person to make the, a copy of something and then distribute it.
2: Uh, right. for yeah, you know, for for example, before digital books, in order to make a copy of a book, you had to either um, you know, put it on a copy machine or in ye olden days uh break into a printing press room and or, or, use the you equipment. Know, hold some
0: Hold some monks at crossbow point and say, illuminate the script faster. Um, Yeah, it was not easy. And so while there were protections in place to keep intellectual property uh, under the the ownership of the person who created it or the entity that owned the rights to it, because, of course, we all know – uh, the copyright holder is not necessarily the person who actually made the created the, work. the yes uh, but anyway uh there were laws in place to protect that property but you know the, the it was pretty easy to combat the the any sort of piracy just because it was it was a lot of trouble to pirate stuff. Uh, you know, I I can remember back in the day when I was a little kid, occasionally using a cassette recorder uh, to co- copy a song that was playing Off the on the radio. radio you know? Sure, so, yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. that too.
2: Yeah, okay. But, so but, right, so it, it, but but until right until uh, uh, cassettes, both video and audio came out, it wasn't so much an issue.
0: No, no, and and in fact, the various uh, industries that have an interest in distributing and producing and distributing media. Uh, very much opposed things like cassettes and, and videotapes. Uh, but eventually the government said, no, the benefit of this outweighs the, the potential threat to your industry. And in many ways they were, they were very much right because again, it just was not easy to circumvent that stuff. Uh, but once we get into the digital era, now you're talking about the ability to take information, you know, zeros and ones is ultimately what we're talking about here. You could take information and you could make copies of it relatively easily and distribute it relatively easily, especially once the internet once the internet became
2: a thing and yeah.
0: So now now we're in an era where you could have a book published and someone could take a digital version of that book, uh strip away so, any sort of copyright protection that happens to be there and distribute it freely to whomever they like and uh, obviously the various publication industries, music industries, movie, television, all that kind of stuff, they were very much concerned about this and and rightfully so. Because if it is easier to get at the material by pirating it than by buying it, that's what people are going to do.
2: Oh, well, sure. There, there is a little bit of contention about that, you know, studies and pretty informal studies as of yet that people have done about how. Uh, being able to preview something for free actually increases sales on that paid object
0: sure but yeah. there's there's a lot of anecdotal evidence right. that says that pirates tend to buy more stuff than anyone else does so in other words like a pirate will will download a torrent of a movie or a television show, really enjoy it, and then go out and buy a copy of it because they want to have that legitimate copy that has all the bells and
1: whistles.
2: Right. Although publishers are starting to take steps these days, you know, letting you preview more and more of songs online or uh, or, 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 like, or accessing things through something like Netflix so that you can really check something out and see if it's something that you're interested in purchasing before right. you.
0: Right. And Amazon has a lending library. Sure. So, But mm-hmm. all of these things are kind of subscription-based. So you're still paying into a system. It's just now you're you've got a lot more options instead of just I want to buy this site unseen and hopefully I will like it. Uh, but anyway, so the DMCA was was this series of uh, tweaks to existing law in the United States. It itself was not just a brand new law. It was really to add uh, amendments to existing law in the U.S. and it was. Uh, uh, trying to bring U.S. law into alignment with world, the World Intellectual Property Treaties uh, from 1996, two of them in particular, one called the WIPO Copyright Treaty and one called the WIPO Performances and Phonograms Treaty. And uh, so this was also to kind of help – Make a united front, and on the global scale of uh, copyright right. holders versus the evil, nasty, horrible pirates who are going to destroy everything from within.
2: Yeah, uh, those those WIPO uh, treaties were introduced in 1996. In 1997, the. Uh, DMCA was originally sponsored by Republican Howard Coble of North Carolina in yep. the U.S. House.
0: Yep, and uh, and it went through several uh, revisions.
2: A few iterations that, yeah. that ended up adding some interesting things. Which
0: we will get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't uh, it- wait to get to it. I am just chomping at the bit to get to the end of this podcast.
2: It finally, it finally passed in 1998 on October 28th when uh, then-President Bill Clinton signed it.
0: Yep signed into law. So let's kind of start talking about what is actually in the DMCA. It's divided into five titles or five sections and uh, the first two titles are the ones that have the most interesting content uh, most from where we are to yeah. sure. so we're gonna we're gonna really concentrate on those first two titles but don't worry the other three will get covered. Because Title Five is a doozy. <laughs> All right, so Title One. Uh, this is uh, from a summary of the DMCA. So I'm going to just read the 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 little blurb verbatim. The WIPO Copyright and Performances in Phonograms Treaties Implementation Act of 1998 implements the WIPO treaties, and so it amends U.S. law to provide appropriate references and links to the WIPO treaties. It also prohibits circumvention of technological measures used by copyright owners to protect their works, such as DRM. That I added the such as DRM, by the way, that's not in the original language. But it is
2: very important. Uh, Yes.
0: Adds civil remedies and criminal penalties for violating the prohibitions. So, in other words, this is the part of the DMCA that makes it illegal to try and get around copy protection. Right. So, if that copy protection is something that's physically part of a device that plays digital media, or if it's something that's within the digital media itself, so software-based, it is, by, by the definition of the DMCA, Illegal to circumvent that in any way.
2: Sure, um, unless
0: unless there are certain circumstances in play.
2: Right, and and it specifically um, covers unauthorized access, but not unauthorized copying.
0: Only for fair use. Though.
2: Only for fair use. Right.
0: You, you, unauthorized copy is still covered if it's not for fair use. So that that raises the question, what is fair use? Fair use is this concept where you are allowed to use someone else's work, some other copyrighted work, uh, in very specific specific circumstances, such as if you were providing commentary about that work. So let's say, for example, that Lauren and I wanted to uh, take something that had been published and copyrighted, uh, and it's about technology, and we wanted to really critique it, and explain it, and explore it, and ask Add to it with our own point points of view. Uh, and we wanted to quote an entire page of that work. Well, as long as we're doing it uh, responsibly and we are actually providing commentary that adds to the discussion. It's right, not-
2: as long as we're not just broadcasting this back out at you for free. Right. Whereas normally you would have to pay to get it as long as yeah, we're adding enough to it to make it fair use
0: yeah that would be fair use and so you'll you'll often hear people say oh oh like with music you could play about 15 seconds of music and then that's fair use no uh, there is actually not a definition of how much work you can quote or play uh, that remains free like your, your
2: your intent and your ability to make money off of the product is is definitely in a lot of
0: uh, yeah, the the, the, here, the, yeah, the consideration here. The
2: consideration here. For example, there was a case in 2007, Stephanie Luns versus Universal Mo- Music Corporation, which was really interesting. I'm kind of cutting into the middle of the meat here, but I but I wanted to bring this up sure. while we're talking about fair use sure. because this was a this was a woman who uploaded a picture of her 13 month old baby dancing to Prince's "Let's Go Crazy" onto YouTube. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, fun times for everybody, right? It was a 29 second clip, and Universal told YouTube to take it down. They said this violates copyright law. She did not ask for permission to Prince to to use that song. Take it down. They did take it down, and she she sued Universal for um, legal fees to contact YouTube to get it back up, and also for yeah just just messing with her life. And
1: yeah. uh, <laughs> right.
2: and, and and the judge ruled uh, in that particular case that that it was fair use, and that also. Um, companies really do need to check that fair use isn't being broken before they ask for content to be removed.
0: Yeah, you'll often hear about that, too. I mean, there's a uh, I don't I didn't write down this particular instance, but I know for a fact that it happened because I know some of the people who are involved uh, uh, this week in text tech news today. Uh, the, the, that's uh, a show that's done with uh, Sarah Lane, uh, Tom Merritt and Aya Zaktar on Leo Laporte's network. They did a a, stu- a show that at one point they were talking about a video that was also a copyrighted work. And so part of th- their show is both an audio podcast and a video podcast. You can get it in either format. Mm-hmm. And the video podcasts also get uploaded to YouTube. Uh, YouTube ended up taking that one down when they got a, a request from the owner of the video, even though it was very much... Uh, evident that this was a case where it was fair uses in play because they were providing commentary about the video itself. They weren't just playing the video. Right. It was all about, uh, really analyzing it and talking about it in a way that was, uh, was transformative. And, um, uh, it, it took quite some time to get that turned around. Uh, on YouTube's, uh, defense, I will say that if they don't act quickly, bad things can happen to YouTube. But we'll get into that. That's a little bit later into the yeah. DMCA. Uh, title I also covers some other stuff. Uh, one thing it says is that if you are talking about public domain, now public domain is another thing we need to talk about. Public domain is when you have uh, an, a A work that has uh, existed longer than copyright protection uh, will cover that work. So uh, it varies from country to country. So, for example, let's just say – we'll make a a hypothetical example – Let's say that a country protects any copyrighted work for twenty years. After a, a work has existed for more than twenty years, it enters into the public domain, meaning anyone can use it any way they like. You can publish as many. You could take that work. You could print out your own copies. You could distribute them freely. You could run down the street laughing like a maniac and chucking copies at people's heads. Uh, that as, would probably get you. As people do
2: sometimes around booked Week with uh, with uh, Mark Twain yeah. properties, for now, example,
0: you could get arrested for some form of assault and battery that way, but you won't be arrested for distributing uh, copyrighted work because it's in the public domain. You can do whatever you like with it. Uh, again, the um, amount of time that a work exists before it's in public domain varies by country to country. And in the United States, for example, that number keeps going up because we have some pretty powerful...
2: People who are saying, like, no, 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 we, we really want to keep Snow White, for example, on yeah, copyright yeah, domain, a, even though it published in the 1920s. There's
0: a certain mouse that has had a large amount of, um, influence on this particular subject. Yeah. Uh, it's very true. Disney has been very active in keeping, uh, you know, adding more years to what would be considered copyright. And then there's the question of, well, can we transfer it so that, uh, even after the copyright holder has passed away or maybe the company Turns into something else. Like, can we keep it so that those rights continue? Can be even transferred longer? to the
2: next. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, so there are a lot of uh, issues with that. Well, the the Title One of DMCA tells us that uh, the the. Rules about public domain revert to the country of origin of that work. So if the work was produced in, uh, say, France, then whatever France's rules are for uh, public domain would be in play. No matter where else in the world you might be, or, well, in this case, in the United States, because DMCA only covers the U.S., clearly.
2: Oh, right, right. The Um, the
0: United States is not adding jurisdiction of the entire world here.
2: They they are not, however. An important part of that Title I is that um, it, it names the U.S. as a member country. Of, of WIPO. Right. And, 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 really says, it, and yeah. says that it provides equal protection to any other member country of WIPO in the United States, any, any work from.
0: Yeah. It, so in other words, it's supposed to uh, apply the same rules and same rigor uh, uh, for any copyrighted work that's under threat from a WIPO country as it would for anything that's from the United States. So no preferential treatment for U.S. versus non-U.S. And also with this public domain issue, uh, you defer to the rules of the country of origin. Uh, So whichever country produced said work, that's the rules that apply for public domain. Um, And uh, the, the whole unauthorized access versus unauthorized copying, there are some exemptions that are allowed uh but they are pretty specific. Uh for one thing, law enforcement intelligence and other governmental agencies are exempt from title 1. So, uh the you know, the FBI doesn't have to worry about following these rules, that kind of thing. Uh other exceptions apply to nonprofit library archive and educational institutions that wish to obtain authorized access to works. So again, uh, the the access still has to be authorized. They can't circumvent.
2: And they can't just do it all willy nilly. They have right. to ask
0: first. Right, but they can make copies if it's for archival purposes. Sure. So in that sense, because uh, remember, there's two sections here. There's the access, and then there's the actual copying. Because uh, there've been a lot of questions about that, uh, and and the about the you know making things like uh, a gadget that could circumvent uh, the access block part, that's illegal. Mm-hmm. But but creating a gadget that can get around the copy protection is not illegal. It's just the access part that you have to worry about. And again, it's not illegal, but you have to use it in very specific circumstances to not get in trouble. Uh, other... Uh, exceptions include reverse engineering for computer programmers. So if you're trying to make a computer program that can uh, be interoperable with an existing program, then you can start making copies of the existing program in an effort to learn how it works so that you can make sure that your new software works seamlessly with the old software. That's really what that was there to protect. Uh, encryption research is protected. So uh, if your uh, work is designed to analyze, evaluate, and improve encryption technologies, you're protected. Uh, also, for the protection of minors. So if there's any technology that's designed to limit access to materials that you know are considered to be harmful to minors, but it would otherwise violate part of Title I, those are exempt from the Title I issues as well. And then there's personal privacy, which is if the technology that was used to protect a work would gain or disseminate unauthorized information about a, quote, natural person, unquote, uh, it can be circumvented. So, uh, if you were to put DRM on something, and that DRM, as part of what it does besides protecting the copyrighted work, would also gather information about you, you can you can then circumvent. You're it allowed
2: to circumvent that because there.
0: because they consider that the dissemination of the private information is worse than circumventing the DRM. And finally, uh, security testing is also exempt from this. So. Uh, yeah, any devices that are primarily designed or produced to circumvent uh, copyright protection uh, that have only limited commercially significant purpose or use other than to circumvent, or are marketed for use in circumventing, are big no nos under Title One. Yeah, this is uh, this is some interesting stuff. Uh, so again, you know, really, it's the access that's the big deal here. Copying right. copying is still a problem. You know, you can't just copy. Like crazy, you have to be able to justify it under those rules I was talking about. Uh, but the access is definitely uh, a big issue. So, in other words, if something's behind a paywall, you can't circumvent the paywall to mm-hmm. get at the stuff because that's talking about access. Now, if you if you don't have a paywall, if you can freely access it. Um, or you've paid to get through it, then making the copy, that's more of a question of do you fall under one of those exemptions.
2: Right, right. Uh, it, it does also say, maybe you were getting to this one, but I thought that this one was particularly interesting. It does—it it says that it does not and will never mandate that the design of products be be such that they specifically prevent the creation of devices made to circumvent themselves. Yeah,
0: it gets a little, little uh, complicated and uh, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, doesn't it? Um, it,
2: it does, but but I it's really to protect companies and say say that if you're designing products, then it's not your problem if someone creates something that can circumvent it.
0: Uh, one other thing that uh, Title I covers it actually says that the provision prohibits rights holders, meaning people who own copyright to material, it prevents them from applying the copyright prevention or copyright uh, circumvention prevention technologies to free television and basic and extended basic tier cable broadcasts, meaning that you can't uh, put copyright protection on stuff that is freely distributed anyway. So you could not put some sort of copy protection over over the air broadcast. Uh, because of the very nature of how it's distributed
2: okay so so sure so so if you wanted to record something that was airing on PBS, you then could do it you could do that yeah,
0: anything that was on any sort of uh over the air transmission mm-hmm. you would be you would you, it doesn't fall fall under the uh umbrella of dmca
2: as as opposed to a lot of other uh digital transmissions or or cable transmissions that which yeah. i are
0: here here's another thing, like if that same uh same program that you would have gotten over the air on an antenna and you wanted to record it on your, your your home system if it's perfectly okay under that circumstance it's not perfectly okay if that same program is being distributed over the internet interesting huh Huh? because it's two different m- means of distribution it has nothing to do with the content it has nothing to do with whether or not it's under copyright it has everything to do with the method of distribution what a crazy world we live in do you have anything else to say about title one Lauren anything else
2: because
0: um, it gets crazier from here on out. It,
2: it does get crazier. Now, there, There's a lot of interesting court cases that have come up about um, what it means to be an owner versus a licensee versus a, a user of any of these pieces of media. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, one case in 2007, Timothy S. Werner versus Autodesk. And Werner sued Autodesk because he had been buying all of the software from garage sales and selling it on eBay. And um, some of that... One of these things that was included was a program called AutoCAD, owned by Autodesk.
0: Right. Auto- uh, it's a computer-assisted design.
2: Sure. Um, the The user agreement in in AutoCAD says that it's a you are a licensee and that your license to use this is non transferable.
0: Ah. But, so, but whoever buys it, that's who. That's owns it. it. That's but, it. Ver-
2: but Werner said it wasn't his fault that someone had sold it to him at a garage sale, and that he should therefore have the right to sell it on eBay. And an Autodesk said, "No, nah." And
0: <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, what do you do? Because the person who sold it the, to Werner is, is essentially the one who's violating that licensing agreement,
2: right? Uh, but but the, the the courts the courts upheld Autodesk. They said they said no but because you have entered into a legal agreement, period, you are responsible for what you do with the software. That's weird.
0: I would have said that the person who entered the legal agreement was the one who originally bought the software, not him. Because if he bought it from a garage sale, he did not clearly buy it from any retailer that was Autodesk. So it's interesting to me, not that I'm contesting what you're saying, (laughs) but it's interesting to me that the court would say that because, you know,
2: they they basically rule that he was never a legitimate owner.
0: Okay. Of the oh, gotcha. So so therefore, because he's not a legitimate owner, he cannot be a reseller. He
2: cannot be a reseller.
0: Correct. And so, you know, this is one of those things where it kind of uh, it it's it brings up that whole idea of the right of first mm-hmm. sale, which is if you buy something, then you have the right to sell it off to someone else. Mm-hmm. The digital era has really changed that as well, because oh, right, how do because you sell something that's digital?
2: And that that's the entire that's the entire issue that I'm talking about with with licensee. Right. A, a user versus an owner. Right. Well, I, and
0: you can understand Autodesk's point. They might say, well, how can we be certain that other than, you know, through registration, how can we be certain that the copy of the, of AutoCAD has been wiped from all the computers that the original owner had? So if I bought AutoCAD.
2: Hy- hypothetically, the key wouldn't work.
0: Yeah. Right. Which, again, uh, the problem is that there are Programs out there
2: that will generate new keys, new for you. keys, yeah. yeah, so
0: that you can mm-hmm. circumvent it, which you're not supposed to do, but yeah. So this is interest. That's interesting that it it go- goes all the way down to selling stuff on eBay,
2: right? Yeah, and on, on a grander scale, this is the same kind of issue that has to do or or Title One anyway has to do with why uh, unlocking your cell phone is illegal, because disabling the DRM software in a cell phone that that locks it to a single carrier. Is illegal,
0: so you can jailbreak your phone, but you can't. You cannot unlock it. Well,
2: you're you're allowed to you're allowed to jailbreak it to install software, right? But not not
0: unlock it for moving it from one uh, carrier Uh to another. And
2: this is a thing that um, once every three years, uh, the Library of Congress sits down and reviews uh, complaints that people have submitted to them about various bits of of
0: legislation and DMCA
2: the law and during one of these uh, one of these tricycles what are they called um tri <laughs> triennial triennial reviews
0: <laughs> I like tricycles better
2: during during one of these tricycles recently the Library of Congress um, up, upheld this that that yeah that jailbreaking to another network is not legal because and I, I do not quote but this is the gist of their argument there are so many devices on the market these days that surely you can find one on the network
0: Wow. Blame the victim, why don't you? Uh, wow. That now, was... So, I, I, I definitely feel a sting on this one. But then again, I bought my phone unlocked already because I bought a phone that was designed to be unlocked so that you could buy it and then put it on whichever network. That's still legal, by the way. Uh, right. Companies can choose to offer up an unlocked device. You just cannot take a device that has been locked and then unlock it.
2: Yeah, There's a. there's a bit of authorization, again, in, in this issue. Yeah.
0: So, uh, well, you know what? There's a lot more to talk about with the DMCA. But before we do, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. All right, getting back into the DMCA, we're ready to move on to Title Two, and I know some of you are thinking there are five titles here. How long is this going to go? But really, Titles One and Two are the big ones, and the other ones are kind. You know, we'll touch on them, but they won't be quite as uh, extensive. So, uh, Title Two is the Online Copyright Infringement Liability Limitation Act, which creates limitations on liability for online service providers for copyright infringement when engaged in certain types of activities. So. This is, of course, where the term "safe harbor" comes from. Is this Title II of the DMCA? So, uh, safe harbor is essentially this idea that if you are an online service provider, and that could be anything from an internet service provider, you know, an ISP, mm-hmm. to a platform that people use on the internet, uh, for- like like Tumblr or YouTube. Yeah, exactly. That if you provide that service, you are not necessarily monetarily liable. For any sort of copyright infringement that's being performed by the users of your platform. Right, yeah. Uh, but there are, again, very specific rules in play. It's not that you're a given free license. You can't just sit there and say, safe harbor, safe harbor, I'm okay. You have to actually uh, you know, show that you are, one, unaware that the stuff is going on, and two, you cannot be benefiting from the fact that Infringement is going on.
2: Oh, right. And, and furthermore, if a company contacts you and says, hey, this thing is on your site, it's co- It's it's copyright infringement, please take it down. You have to do that. You
0: thing. have to respond very quickly. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why we see these, these uh, things happen where YouTube will pull something very quickly because they have to under the rules of DMCA. If they receive that notification, that notification uh, I mean, there's... Prob- several big cases against YouTube that are all about copyright infringement. Uh, Viacom has...
2: Yeah, a huge case, which yeah. is which is still going on, that was filed in 2007 uh, over a contention of um, uh, 160,000 clips that had been viewed f- 1.5 billion times. Um, and and they, they were basically saying, YouTube, you... Um, I'll, I'll quote from it. Because YouTube directly profits from the availability of popular infringing works on its site, it has decided decided to shift the burden entirely onto copyright owners to monitor the YouTube site on a daily or hourly basis to detect infringing videos.
0: Yeah. So Viacom's saying, hey, this should not be our job, and YouTube's saying, hey, it shouldn't be our job either. There's 72 hours worth of material being uploaded every minute. There's no one who can sit there and go over every single frame of every single video that's always uh, being submitted to this service. Uh, and, so and that's
2: basically what the court said. They threw it out without even being tried in 2010. Um, it came back, actually, in, in April of 2012. It, it, there was a reversal. The, the court said that basically a, a reasonable jury could have found that, that YouTube was aware of what was going on and just not taking steps.
0: Right, yes, and, and that's that's one of the things under DMCA is that if the the service provider is aware of it, they have to take uh, steps mm-hmm. to prevent it. Now, again, it, if it's something where it comes under fair use, that's where it gets muddy again. Because, really sticky. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like, it's it's not it's not YouTube's job to determine what is fair use and what is not, uh, and the op the the copyright holder is supposed to at least take that into consideration before taking steps. But ultimately, fair use is something that's decided in a court of law. Right. I mean, you know, it's. It, it's, it's all down to does the copyright holder want to take the steps to actually, uh, prosecute someone and then the court decides if it was fair use or not. That's, that's the real problem with fair use is that it's really something that's decided after a court case. Um, if it, if no court case happens, so if a copyright holder never comes after you for the way you've used something, you could argue that's because it's fair use. But legally speaking, that's not the determination. It's just that no one came after you. Uh, that doesn't mean that they won't come after you sometime in the future. This is the fun part of copyright law, right? So, let's talk about some of the the things that uh, that uh, the limitations on liability cover for copyright infringement. This whole safe harbor idea. One of them is transitory communications. Now, this limits the liability of a service provider when all the provider is doing is acting as a data conduit. In other words, all they're doing is allowing information to pass from one entity to another entity. They're not, they're not taking part in whatever the content is. Uh, they're just, essentially, they're the pipes. And if, if you are the one who owns the pipes, you cannot be, uh, held responsible monetarily for any copyright infringement material that passes along there as long as you are not complicit in that transaction. So in other words, if you're a service provider and you are not knowingly Uh, providing people the chance to send copyright infringed material back and forth, or you're not profiting from it, then you're not liable. But if you're profiting from it, then there's a problem. And that's one of the the things against YouTube, is that if YouTube is running ads against videos, then that means they're profiting from it. Yeah, they're profiting from those videos. So if the videos are videos that infringe upon something, then uh, there's, there's a case there for DMCA. Now granted, most of the time, the first step is still saying, take this down, and if YouTube does that... That, that's usually as far as it goes, but it's something to keep in mind. Next, you have system caching. Uh, that limits the liability of a service that retains data to send it later at the sender's discretion. So uh, there are a lot of different ways of thinking about this, but imagine that you have scheduled something to post at a particular time. Well, a copy of that information may be existing on a service provider's site, but uh, uh, what you're saying is that if that material is copyrighted and it's unauthorized, it's an unauthorized copy, the system cannot be held responsible for holding that copy because they're really just fulfilling their end of a service. Uh, again, same rules apply. They can't be complicit. They can't be profiting from it. Uh, storage of information on systems or networks at direction of users. Same sort of thing. You have uh, cloud storage. If if I have a cloud storage account, and the you know part of that is that I I am trusting that my provider is not snooping in on all the stuff that I'm storing on my cloud storage, uh, then uh, you know you can't hold the cloud storage company responsible if I'm filling up my storage with. You know, all right, my, it can't all be expected
2: my... to to look at all every single one of the files of right. right Strickland, so or when whoever. So when I uploads. put
0: put my unauthorized discography of Britney Spears up there, they can't. You know, they're not held responsible for it. Right. I should definitely hold responsibility for something like that if I were to ever do that. And I fully expect to be held responsible. It also will never happen. Uh, then there's the information location tools. So this is things like search engines. So if you were to type in something in a search engine, uh, for example, you were interested in a particular television show. Let's say, I don't know, Supernatural. And you were to type that in, and some of the links that came back linked to things that were uh, infringing copyright. The search engine would not be held responsible for those links unless again it was violating those other rules. So in other words, you can't blame Google for putting a link up to material that infringes upon copyright because Google's not the one responsible for the material, it's just all it's it is just is, reporting. It's just indexing links. Okay, that's all it's doing. Yeah.
2: Although it does do so with ads, so that makes me wonder if right. there's any kind of any of that sticky.
0: There that's probably another issue. But again, and they're also told that if someone reports it, they are supposed to block to access or take mm-hmm. those links down. That that's raised a lot of ire uh in the various communities online about the idea of blocking links because it's talking about essentially breaking one of the fundamental parts of the internet uh, or at least of the web if not the internet. Anyway, it's a different discussion. Uh, those are the four main areas where the liability is limited. Um- they also uh, it says section 512 which is the specific section of the uh, the, the law that this uh, this Effects. addresses mm-hmm. yeah it says it also contains a provision to ensure that service providers are not placed in the position of choosing between limitations on liability on the one hand and preserving the privacy of their subscribers on the other so in other words they are not supposed to be put into any kind of position where they have to identify someone when Part of their business is all about hey, your we, pri- we respect your you. privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. so they are supposed to be allowed to to remain uh, free of that, uh, but the, even that has some issues. Uh, so uh, like, But essentially this is to, to make sure that they remain in compliance with things like the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. So in other words, you're talking about there are two different laws here that kind of conflict with one another. Which one has precedence? In this case, the privacy hol- holds up over the copyright violation. Uh, and really, the reason why this whole section exists is to prevent companies from having to undergo massive amounts of expenses to defend themselves, uh, or also to endure excessive interference from copyright holders or from government officials. And uh, so, you know, the fact that this DMCA stuff is, in a way, it's you could you could see it as a way of of. Uh, Bending to the will of copyright holders—that's the way a lot of critics point painted, right? Like uh-huh. the DMCA is just the government uh, laying down in front of copyright holders.
2: Right, but but this one this one really actually works in the other direction in the favor of
0: the well, service providers. The service yeah.
2: providers who are just just trying to do their jobs and are not necessarily. There was a case in 2006. IO Group filed a complaint against Vo Networks for. Uh, Vo Networks had a site that would let users transcode video into Flash. Okay, sure. Yep. And and I/O Group was saying that Vo Networks users were trans transcoding videos into Flash that that were copyright An- infringement.
0: Okay, so that they were taking uh, videos that were under copyright, and through the process of transcoding them, that was violating the copyright.
2: Yes, and they said that. They said that Vo was responsible for this because, as as a transcoder, they were they were implicit in the copyright uh, infringement.
0: They were they were actually they were giving the people the ability to infringe. Yes, just from the very nature of what the service was. And
2: the court ruled that that the process was automated. And that, therefore, yeah, VO had no knowledge and...
0: Like, they they could not know what the content was because the actual uh, process of of transcoding had nothing to do with a human being reviewing stuff and saying, hey, wait a minute.
2: It was a really good but a really uh, important clear-cut case to prevent that kind of legal action from being taken in the future.
0: That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, YouTube... Had, for a long time, was always encoding videos into Flash mm-hmm. until you know a couple. Until it started to switch over to HTML5. Yeah. Uh, but same sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and that that Viacom case is just kind of spinning in courts right now. Both sides are arguing that the other is burdened with the proof that that YouTube and therefore Google had no idea what was going on. And and really, how do you prove that someone doesn't know something?
0: Right, you have to have evidence that they did know. That's the only way you can prove. Yeah. You can't prove a negative, but if you are able to prove that they did know and knowingly allowed it to happen, that would be the uh, the case. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Well, let's move on to Title Three, which is mercifully short. Uh, it's the Computer Maintenance Competition Assurance Act, which creates an exemption for making a copy of a computer program by activating a computer for purposes of maintenance or repair. So essentially this means that if you've got a computer and you need to do some work on it, like you need to repair it or main- do some maintenance work on it, and you've got – uh, programs on there already you can go ahead and make copies of that stuff for the purposes of doing this maintenance or repair work but once all that work is done you then must destroy the must destroy the copy yeah yep that was Title 3. See how easy that was? The title, end! Title Yay. 4. <laughs> title 4. Uh, now this one's a little more wacky because it has six miscellaneous provisions relating to the functions of the Copyright Office, distance education, the exceptions in the Copyright Act for libraries, and for making ephemeral recordings. Also webcasting of sound recordings on the internet, and the applicability of collective bargaining agreement obligations in the case of transfers of rights in motion pictures. And it's just as exciting as it sounds, people. So, in general, ephemeral recordings means that you can make a copy of material for broadcast purposes. So like a radio station, it might make a copy of all these different songs from various albums onto a new medium and use that for broadcast purposes. That's perfectly fine. Uh, again, but they can only keep it up to a certain length of time. I think it's like six months. Then you've got things like the distance education study, which was really – it was worded this way into the DMCA because the 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 – you know, Congress wanted to explore ways to promote distance education to give people more opportunities for for uh, educational purposes. Um, so that was just really kind of put in there to say, let's put a placeholder here and really think about what this means. So it doesn't directly affect the DMCA in this case, uh, but later legislation definitely does. Um, the nonprofit libraries, we've already kind of talked about. Uh, webcasting was interesting because this ended up setting up certain rules that – internet radio stations have to follow that terrestrial radio stations don't necessarily have to follow. And this has caused a lot of uh, concern among both parties.
2: Uh, sure, yeah. And this is why Pandora, for example, works the way that it does. If, if, if you've ever used Pandora, you know that... Uh... It will never play a specific song that you that you tell it to play right off the bat. Right, it, it, you, it has to to take a sample of similar songs and play them in a random order. It right. also cannot play a certain song more than more often than you know
0: a certain amount of time. Yeah, there's usually like the rules are kind of weird. Like there's one that says you cannot uh, uh, you cannot have. This, uh, the same songs from the same album play in like a three hour period sure. or you can only do a certain number like it's it's really it's really also, specific weird rules yeah and
2: it's it's why you can't skip too many songs at once because right. it might uh mess with the logarithm and force something to be randomly played sooner than it right, otherwise would right. it have
0: been yeah and then also there's even things about like uh like if you have a looping program that's broadcast on the internet it, it has to be at least three hours long like you can't have a one hour like let's say you made a playlist and it's about a one hour long playlist you could not have that being looped on the internet because it's not long enough to meet these requirements
2: well, yeah
0: um, also of course if you were playing anything that was uh, under copyright you would have to pay whatever the the appropriate licensing fees were in order to have that uh, and uh, and that's also an issue but we won't you know that's that's almost its own podcast really to cover all of those issues Um, The motion picture section has to do with residual payments that go out uh, whenever a a motion picture or movie, as some of us are, or film even, if we want to go old school. Super fancy. Um, But, you know, there there are residual payments that go out to the people who worked on a film whenever it's being broadcast or played or whatever. Uh, And so that had, that's what that part of the title for had to do with it. Uh, now we get to Title V, which is my favorite of all the titles because it is the one that makes my brain explode. So I am going to tell you what Title V covers, and I promise this is not a joke. Now keep in right- mind, this is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Yes. So the DMCA Title right. V says, The Vessel Hull Design Protection Act creates a new form of protection for the design of vessel holes. And you might say, w- wait a minute, what are you talking about, and yes I am, boats. talking about boats, people. And so it creates a new system for protecting original designs of certain useful articles that make the article attractive or distinctive in appearance. Uh, that means it's specifically about the aesthetic design of a boat hull. It is limited to the hulls of vessels no longer than 200 feet. In the DMCA. Well, it's... It's not digital. It's a design you could this could apply to something that's written on paper. There's nothing digital about this. It has nothing to do with the rest of the act. It is just about boats. Now you know what makes me think? It makes me think that some old senator out there and apologies to you, old senator, yeah. if you're the one who said this, but clearly,
2: old, clearly these boats are for surfing the interweb.
0: <sighs> See now what I think is there was an old senator out there who was saying Protecting against piracy, something. Uh, Piracy, huh? All right, piracy. Well, uh, let's protect the boats. And uh, also probably said that the Internet is a series of tubes. Oh, it drives me crazy. This, by the way, if you are not from the United States, hey, this is how our law works. Yay! We have laws where occasionally you're reading through the law and something completely not connected to the rest of the law gets thrown in there. For reasons that are probably best not explored, because it will just make you despair over the the, the state of affairs in the legal system in the United well,
2: States. Well, you know, they really wanted to pass it through. This was a big popular thing that was going on, and they figured they figured you know those kids with their with their <sighs> internet surfboards and in their and their piracy are never going to notice. Oh, it's just so it's, let's just I mean, if, if just if do
0: it now. I when I read it, I thought. This has got to be a joke. And I thought, there's no, no. there's no other humor in this very long document that I'm reading. Why would this be the only thing? I, I just, I don't get it. It's so ridiculous. Okay. Well, and anyway, there are a lot of parts about the DMCA that make my brain, uh, angry and want me to go Hulk smash. But, um, this is, uh, this is probably the capper on it. Both figuratively and literally since it is the last of the five titles so that's the dmca folks that's the uh that those are the the amendments to the existing law that all are there to uh to try and protect copyright owners from uh having their works stolen willy and or nilly across the interwebs um there's a, there's, it's been under fire many, many times uh, for several of the passages within the DMCA. Uh, there have been lots of court cases that have challenged various parts of the DMCA with varying degrees of su- success. And, of course, there have been other uh, proposed forms of, of law that kind of tie back into the DMCA. And some people say, well, why do we even – why are, Why is this law being proposed? We already have the DMCA uh, in effect in the United States, so therefore we should not – pursue even more, like, why, why are you painting over this fence that is already painted?
2: Painted extremely thoroughly.
0: Right. Yeah. This is no painted no, somehow
2: into the air in the borders above the fence.
0: It's no Tom Sawyer job here, folks. This is a very well painted. We're bringing it back to to Mark Twain.
2: We are. Uh, we are.
0: Very literary podcast today. So, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's also kind of infuriating. Um, but I, I do understand the perspective of copyright holders and wanting to protect their property. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with how it's come about, but I totally agree with the desire to do so.
2: Uh, some measures clearly had to be made to to prevent things like our buddies in Napster from...
0: Yeah. And and again, like I still I my argument is still that if you make something that's easy to for people to buy and you know, if and if you have guaranteed the quality of that product, then people will tend to buy it. Yeah. If if you can't do that or won't do that, then people are more willing to try and find, you know, underhanded means of getting access to that content. Uh, and I mean, if you make it attractive enough, if it's priced fairly, and if it's, if it, again, the the quality is guaranteed, then a lot of people are going to say, well, I would rather buy it than run the risk of downloading a mount, you know, some sort of virus to my computer from a torrent site because I have no real way of knowing if what I think I'm downloading is actually what I'm downloading
2: yeah even, even if legal penalties cannot deter you
0: yeah sometimes hackers can hackers can yep well I guess that wraps up this discussion I'm going to go and dip my head in a bucket of water to cool down uh, guys if you have suggestions for upcoming episodes of Tech Stuff I highly recommend you get in touch with us our email address is techstuff at discovery Or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again, assuming we're not blocked by copyright, really soon.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
1: work.